Well, good morning. I had a few more, a uh, few folks that usually come to this service at first service this morning. I don't know, uh, maybe because the rain stopped, we had some people decide to be early risers, you know, fresh start, but uh, good to see y'all here this morning, and um, I'm excited for this this afternoon at 4.30 when we have our annual harvest celebration, also formerly known as the business meeting, annual business meeting, and we really do have reason to celebrate, and I want, I want you to come, even if you're not a partner, and uh, if you're not familiar with what we're calling a partner, it's similar to church membership that you'll find in other churches. Uh, we take a little different take on it. But uh, those of you, especially those that recently become partners, and this will be your first uh, harvest celebration come, we do have some important items to vote on, and we need at least a third of you there, of the partners, to have a quorum and, and by our Constitution and bylaws actually hold the meeting. If we had less than a third show up, which we've never had happen, we'd have to dismiss the meeting and reschedule. Um, I've already checked in with all the partners. It looks like we'll have a, a, an, an excellent attendance. A few people have to be gone, and we understand that, and they picked up absentee ballots, so um, they're still participating even if they can't be here. But we'll have a good group. Um, is anybody too warm, too cold in here? Hot? I got the air on here. If someone knows how to function that thing in the back, if you make sure you take the whole button off and just turn it to cool, it should be pro programmed to cool it down. If it, Then if anybody gets too cold, you can go back there and just turn it to Turn it to off, but um, I switched this when I was getting a little warm. Well, I don't. I, I went a little bit over in first service, and I want to be able to, not just for the sake of uh, getting us out here on time, but I want to make sure I'm, I get what the Lord has put on my heart out. Um, and, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not a sports fan, so I probably would mispronounce every football player, basketball player's name and coach's names and all that because I'm just not. But, but, but the message this morning is you can't afford to quit and an, an example of that is in 2015, quarterback Nick Foles lost his uh, starting job with the St. Louis Rams to Casey Keenum and wonder if he had a future in the NFL. And he goes on in this article to say that he was so discouraged that really for eight months he couldn't even touch a football. He was just so discouraged and, and wanted to quit the NFL, quit the game. He had no love for the game. But he prayed and, and, and asked God for direction. And, and it says that, that, um, that he was able to connect with... Uh, Coach Andy Reid, who had drafted Foles in 2012 when, when he coached the Eagles, and the Chiefs signed Foles before the 2016 season, and he appeared in three games, making one start. Foles completed 36 of 55 passes for 410 yards, three touchdowns, and, and no interceptions. And, and so he, he mentions that he talked to his wife, and really is one prayer, and, and what he was going to give up on the Lord gave him a new love for the game and breath, and, and he continued. You know, um, uh, John Piper talks about in an article that at one time he was so, uh, when he was pastoring Bethlehem Church, he was so discouraged and had lost any love for what they were getting ready to do. They were getting ready to do a building project, and he, he writes in his diary and just summarizing, he just, he's kind of like, I don't even have a feeling for this. You know, I don't know what's happened, but I just don't really, but, but, through, through uh, encouragement of God's word, and he was able to regain that love for what they're doing. Um, he talked about so many committee meetings over the building project and just didn't really uh, want to do that, but God encouraged him. But I'm going to tell you that while the message is entitled, You Can't Afford to Quit, and that is truth. When I was in the Navy, for the very short time I was, I got a chance to be around some very highly motivated people, and they had a, a motto or mantra that was said often is, You can't afford the luxury of a quitter. And what they meant by that is you can't be in some foreign country with, with ice cold water up to your neck trying to avoid the enemy or, or, or take out the enemy and the guy next to you just says, you know what, I really don't like this anymore. I'm tired. I think I'll just go home. 
Why? Because he's there watching your back, right? He's responsible for you getting home alive. You're responsible for him getting home alive. You can't afford the luxury of a quitter. And what we have to realize is what we're doing here this morning, whether you're at New Song or you're another Bible-believing church, what you are doing is, is not a game. We are messing around with the eternal life and death of not just us, but our family, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, everyone you meet for the rest of your natural life here while you're here alive in this natural life is impacted by what you do with what we're doing here. That we have to realize it's of eternal consequences what we're doing. And, and we look at our options from Scripture between quitting and fighting on, and it's a no-brainer what we must do. We have to fight on. We can't quit. I, I'm mixing things up a little bit for those of you that are in first service, second service. I'm mixing my message up a little here because I want, want you to understand, I have, I have been faced with uh, the temptation to quit at different points in my life, even as a pastor. A and the Holy Spirit begins to minister to me and says, you know, it's not just about you, CJ. What happens if you quit? Well, from the embarrassment of quitting what's going on here, I'd have to probably take my family and move somewhere because that's what we do. We, we run away from those things that we're embarrassed of. And, and so when I get to wherever I'm doing, I'd have to find a job, maybe something similar to what I did at Walmart before. And all of a sudden now I'm not so much liking the boss I have and not making enough money and not climbing the ladder fast enough. I've had all that stuff going. But really the spiritual impact is my kids saw now, if I'd never been called to ministry, there's nothing wrong with being a Christian layperson, working a secular job and leading your family, uh, leading the fa your family to the Lord and having fall. But the thing is, is my kids and my wife, their eyes have been opened that the Lord has a calling on my life. So now I've discouraged my kids because they realize dad gave up. My wife, who, who needs me to champion what God has called me to before her, now realizes that that I have given up to the enemy and I have I have quit. And so it's not just me. I can't afford the luxury quitter. Who knows what the long-term ramifications of my family would be if I quit what God has called me to do? Who knows what would happen with my children? You know, many of you will say, oh, you, and everybody, you know, you say the nice things about people's kids to them, right? You know, but then your kids are great, right? Um, and then you see them tearing each other apart, and then before you go home, you're like, man, he needs to whip those kids. You know, <laughs> but, but we, we see the great in those things, but, but we have no idea that, that literally, if, if I was to stop what I was doing now, what kind of impact that may have on them? I can't change what God has called me to do. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai, to chapter 2, we're going to look at the first nine verses of Haggai and look at a story here that, that I believe this message will help encourage us to not quit. But if, if we're honest, there's times in our lives that we all want to give up, right? I mean, hear me now, really. And unless there's just some people here that are just superheroes, you, you've had times you want to give up on something, right? Whether it's a job or, or a relationship or whatever, you're just ready to give up. And this is especially true concerning the ministry. Did you know that you're all called to be ministers? You know, it's not just a matter of being a pastor or an evangelist, but once you become a believer, what's the great commission for everyone, not just ministers, but to go and make disciples? So once you're a believer in Christ, it's like, it's like pyramid schemes are just the devil's way of mocking what God really intended. It is a pyramid uh, process. You get saved, Robert, and you're to lead someone else to the Lord and lead another person to the Lord, and you're to 
mentor them up and to disciple them. And then they do the same thing. And the kingdom of God, numbers were added to them daily when, when that was played out. So we are all called to ministry, but especially it's true concerning ministry that, that we're not simply fighting stress or discouragement or exhaustion, but we're fighting an adversary, Satan. Now, when you watch football, and, and you know, like I said, I'm not in sports. I would rather have brain surgery than watch uh, two hours of golf on TV. Honestly, I, I, I'd probably need it after I watch golf um, for two hours. You know, that's, that's the worst thing I could think of to do with my time. But, but the truth is, is when you play football, it's, it's not just the ball you're trying to get the goal. You have to go through people to get there. You have an adversary. You have an opposing team. And we can never forget that the discouragement, the stress that we may pin on our, our reasoning for wanting to quit, it's not that. It's the enemy. I just don't think I can serve in that way. And I hate to tell Pastor CJ this. I'm just not, I don't have any gifting. I really don't know that I have time to do anything. That's not from coming from the Lord because the Lord would never speak into you that you can't do anything for him there's something he wants you to do it's a matter whether whether you're going to submit to that and let the Lord help you and show you that you can do it so it's not just the case for pastors quitting is a temptation for each and every person who serves the Lord in any capacity Many of the giants in church history face great difficulty and were often tempted to give up and walk away from the calling. Uh, about three or four years ago, I preached a sermon using uh, some of this, using this example, and, and it's so good I want to use it again. An example of, of this is found in the diary of John Wesley. Now, if you want an example of someone who was tempted to quit or who had the temptation before them to quit, listen to this. Sunday, a.m., May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m. May 5th, priest in St. John's. Deacon said to get out and stay out. It's always the deacons, right? Or the kids. All right. Sunday a.m. May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m. May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m. May 19th, preached on the street. Kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26, preached in a meadow, chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during service. <laughs> Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. After all that rejection, a lesser man would have been tempted to quit, right? See, perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay achieving success. Or some might call it stick-to-itiveness. Stick-to-itiveness. Someone said postage stamps are getting uh, more expensive, but at least they have one attribute most of us could use, especially in the kingdom of God. You know what that attribute postage stamps have? Is they stick to one thing until they get there. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Here, here's one of the most discouraging things for a pastor in the Bible Belt is is apart from in this service, I have some faces that have been here since pretty much the beginning. But I see different faces than I saw a year and a half ago here. And a year and a half before that, it was different faces than that. And a year and a half before that, it was different. You got to keep in mind, this May will be 10 years for me and my family being a part of New Song. We were with Pastor Jim when he was going to churches before we even had a body of believers going to churches raising support. We've been there since the very inception and beginning of the vision of New Song. And We've seen the ups and downs. We've seen the ebb and flow. And quite honestly, with a smorgasbord of, of churches around here, 
finding that commitment of people who will stick to it to the end is difficult. It's difficult. But I'm not so surprised because statistics say in our culture that the average uh, time that someone will stick in a job, the younger generation now, is they feel like they have to be serving a greater purpose in their job, not just earning the paycheck and doing that. And once the luster uh, gives off, that maybe two and a half, three years is kind of average, and then they need to be either doing something different or move to a different company or whatever. People used to work for 20 and 30 years and take a pension you know, from one job and, and used to stay with a company and they were proud of that company or, or stick to it. And so it's not just a spiritual, it is a spiritual thing, but it's not impacting just a church. It impacts our culture. And so that, that stick-to-itiveness, because we can't afford to quit because of the ramification of what it does. What we teach our children and our grandchildren and those around us when we can't stick to anything, when we can't give it our all into anything. I've been there. I was called the big splash guy by a previous pastor because he had recognized in me while he was mentoring me. He said, you come up with a lot of great ideas and do hardly any of them. And the ones you do, and I asked for, the, I asked for this, so he wasn't being hurtful. I just said, what's, what's my greatest weakness you see in me? He said, the problem is you can do a lot of things and you can kind of get them done, but you need to be able to do one thing excellent and stick with it and see it through. Because that's how you'll really lead people to follow Christ because Christ followed through all the way to the cross and beyond and to eternity. He showed us an example of sticking it out and sticking it through. So I hope this won't come across as a negative. If you have this issue like I've had where you don't stick to things, then this could come across negative. But if you'll stick with me a little bit here, you stick through at least the message, I hope it encourages you that God is wanting you to get to the point where you realize you can't afford to quit. Some sermons are intended to encourage those who are not working for the Lord to start. Some sermons are intended to encourage those who have quit serving the Lord to return to the area of service. But we have... We've had both of those type of sermons here, but today's message is really intended for the audience that in our Bible passage today, these are people who were actively serving the Lord and serving Him, but they got discouraged in doing so. So it's a message of encouragement and assurance and, and motivation. But I'd like you to walk you through the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2 and examine it alongside the thought of never quit. We, in the series we've been in, it's kind of been a mixture of things, but you know, we, we've talked about the, that the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've talked about three baptisms where you're baptized in the body of Christ, and, and that's when the Holy Spirit pursues you as a sinner, convicts you of your sin, and wants to introduce you to Christ, and you're baptized in the body. Then, because of Christ's example with John the Baptist, he set for us, we are baptized in water to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that work. And then there's a third baptism where we see uh, in the uh, Acts account and we see where Paul ran into those in the Ephesians and said, you know, when did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we know that the, then that Jesus wants to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And we know the initial physical evidence of that is speaking in tongues. And again, in first service, we had a message in tongues interpretation. That's, that's still evidence today of that work that Christ is wanting to do in us by baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. But with all that we've been going through and talking about fasting and drawing close to God and this spiritual awakening, the problem is that some of us that are on a path where that's not happened in our lives yet, it's easy for us to get discouraged. 
and say, God, I want you to do things in my life, but it doesn't seem to be happening quick enough, or I can't see the end in sight, and we get discouraged. In this, in this passage that we'll be looking at, we can see a transition in the people of God throughout the first chapter of the book. They've gone from being uh, inactive and idle to working to accomplish God's plan. They had been in Babylonian captivity. They had been ca taken captive. And when they finally were freed from captivity, you'd think they'd just be like all about God's work. But you know what they actually did? Man, that was tough and that was hard. Let's build some really nice homes for ourselves. We deserve, we, we deserve a break today, right? I mean, I, I get that. That's kind of how I feel when um, I have stress. I'll go to food, you know? This was a rough week. I deserve to eat something really good. And, and so I, I set this expectation that I deserve something. And so that's what they do. They begin to, to build these really luxurious homes. But listen, the church, the temple, was in ruins. So they're having a heyday building their homes and doing their thing. But the church building itself was in ruins. Not a place anybody would want to worship. God ends up punishing his people for their inactivity and he confronts them. And he encourages them to consider their ways. And it gets very specific about when this happens. It says, On the September 21st, in the second year of King Darius' reign, the people began to work to rebuild the Lord's house. So just like in the service, what we challenge, we're challenged to do to hear God's voice, they heard the correction of the Lord, and they reacted and responded, and they, and they did it. Sometimes we're so afraid of admitting we're wrong, we don't want to respond to God's voice, because that in itself is admitting that we weren't doing what he asked us to do. But they responded. And God recognizes that they needed to be lifted up, that they were discouraged. God shows them and gives them inspiration and motivation to keep pressing on. One of the issues was is they didn't have the resources to rebuild the temple to its former glory. You know, the scripture talks about it, that they didn't have all the precious metals that were there before. And so there's a little discouragement. Those that had seen the church building before and how great it was, the temple, and thinking, we can't, we can't do this. And there are times in the Christian life and our service to the Lord when we get tempted to quit. Maybe you're at that point right now, or maybe you've not gotten to that point, but, but, but you're, you're getting close, but you can't afford to quit. A well-known televangelist used to say, it's always too early to quit. But one of the biggest reasons that people quit serving the Lord is discouragement. And I'd like to encourage you by saying, God sees your effort. If you're making an effort, if you're putting a foot forward to, to work for the Lord, to do something, to at least discover your gift, say, I have a plan to, to, to serve in this body of believers, and I'm believing God will show me what I can do, and that it will happen. God wants to encourage you in that. In verse 1, it says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this house, talking about the temple, in its first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as if it's nothing? He's, he's saying, I get it. I know that some of you have seen what it looked like before, and, and you're tasked with rebuilding it, and, and you're, you're knowing it's not going to, you're worried it's not going to be like it was before. The Lord knew exactly who was working on the temple. He called them by name, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant of the people. 
I get this. You know, when we started building, uh, putting the plans together for the building, and we got the layout, and it looks so so awesome compared to what we have now, and I'm like, man, I, I'm just trying to picture myself as a person, you know, and, that, and looking around the rooms, and you couldn't really see it until you start to build it. And, you know, we got the slab board, and that looked like a decent amount of space, you know, and the tall walls went up. I was like, wow, we only have like seven-foot something walls here and 18-foot walls. I mean, this is going to be awesome. And, and then we started building the inside walls, and things started kind of closing in a little. And next thing you know, um, I'm looking at that sanctuary. I was like, can we really fit 270 seats in here? Did the architect mess up? And, you know, I have that little thought in my head, but then someone else from the church might come out and say, this don't look as big as I thought it was going to be. And I kind of feel deflated. I was like, maybe, did we not plan right? And you're getting discouraged. But, you know, part of that is, is I have a reference point. When Jen and I met, we went to a church that's run 10,000 at the time. They're like 15,000 now. And they were starting an add-on project for a new kids area. And when they put in the check-in stands, it looked like an airport check-in thing. I mean, it was just like computers all the way down. This, as far as you could see, it's like, wow, that's just to check in the 2,500, 3,000 kids or whatever every Sunday. And so we, we've seen that. And so, you know, we're trying in this effort and everything feels small. And I can relate to these people feeling like we've seen how great a temple can be before. And God's asking us to put it back like that. We don't even have the resources. God's asked me to build something like that. How did the Lord know who was working on the temple? Because he was right there with them. And that's what we often forget, that God is right there with you. I know a few times I've slipped on that roof and started to go down. God was with me because I stopped before I hit the ground. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I'm with you, declares the Lord. God perceived something among his people. He asked them to do this great task. He realized that they were feeling discouraged. And, and, and so he says to them, who's left among you who saw this house as former glory? You know, uh, the neighbors You've been at the school when even though we were renting a school cafeteria, you've seen when there's 110 people in one spot and there's kids packed down a hallway and everything. And, and then you see the times where we go through this cycle. You've seen the cycles. And I know we've even talked. You're like, where's everybody going? I'm like, I don't know. I guess I'm failing. <laughs> you know, I haven't said that, but I thought it. When they, you know, but we do. Those who love, who love the work and want to see it continue and see it grow. And then you have those struggles where someone maybe gets unhappy and they leave. It just, you know, God, I know the temple can be better than what I'm doing here. Can you please help me? And God sees this. The people have been working for almost a month. That can seem like an eternity when you're doing things for God and it doesn't seem to be going quite right. But progress was being made. And some were comparing the present foundation to the former temple that had been destroyed and perhaps they were disheartened because their eyes, uh, in their eyes, was much smaller. You know, we set these expectations and things, and when we see something smaller than what we expected, we get disappointed. It's kind of a natural reaction. For me, since food is my, you know, make me feel better thing, like I get really frustrated if Jen likes to try new restaurants. Even if she gets disappointed, she likes new things. I'm like, I know this place is good. I know the size of the food they give me and how it tastes. I'll just stick with that. But, you know, you give and take. So I go. And I remember went to this barbecue place one time. I won't name them. But I like spicy things, and they have this spicy hot link sausage sandwich and it's like nine or ten dollars and i'm thinking that's going to be a good sandwich for nine or ten dollars that's got to be big because it didn't have many sides come with it so the sandwich has got to be big they bring it out and no joke here's this big hamburger bun nothing special about it, not toasted danny not anything on it you know just 
just a dry bun laying open and a sausage link that didn't even reach one side to the other of the bun. And I had like that much space on the other side and one. And I really thought it was a joke. So I looked at the lady, I was like, is this really it? Do you, rem- do you remember the time I'm talking about? You probably don't. See, I really get hurt by bad food situations. <laughs> that was years ago when she's forgotten it. I've held it against them ever since. Won't, don't want to go back. If y'all ever mention a restaurant, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'd go there. That's probably a bad experience like that. But, you know, little, little things. So, you know, and I got disappointed because I have been to a place where eight or nine dollars was a big barbecue sandwich. And I have that reference point to go to. And so these people, they're like, they're like, that is not what's on the plate for us. I mean, we've seen what God's temple can be like. And we're told in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, that, that when the foundation for the temple was laid, that those who had seen the first temple wept and mourned because the new temple did not appear as grand as the first. Wept and mourned. I realized when we started the building project and we had a few, uh, few families leave here and there that, that I was told statistically some will because that's a lot of pressure for a church. It's a lot of pressure for families to say, hey, we're going into this big commitment. And so you will lose some. And, and sometimes I've wondered, maybe they thought we didn't, weren't building big enough or we didn't have big enough dreams. And I've had some say, you know, you should just trust God for the money and build bigger. And I've had some say, you should have waited until God gave the money and built. you got all these voices, right? And, and, and so people have expectations. They get, uh, they get, but these people were actually weeping and mourning like somebody had died. What the people did not realize is that God does not measure success the way we do. God doesn't even measure your success in your role, in your job, or your ministry like you do. The fact of the matter is, though some people was, were discouraged, God was pleased because he saw them trying. Listen to what he said in Zechariah 4, 8-10. through 10. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to seek the, uh, the work, uh, to see, see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. I mean, you get this image. You know what plumb line is? You know what plumb bob is? I, I had, my dad gave me a plumb bob, and it looks like a little top you spin. But it's heavy weight, and you put a string through the middle, and that way you can get above something and hold it on the edge and know where the exact, where the exact point is that that goes to the ground. So if you're trying to line up a roof with a, you know, a concrete slab or something, you could, you could do that. And so you literally see him, the plumb line. He's got, he's got the tool in his hand. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejo- uh, rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. That means that God is, is excited when you just take a step, when you grab the tool that he's given you and says, let's go at it. Oh, well, it's not going so well. Wow, we were supposed to be in that building by the end of December, and this, this deadline just keeps getting pushed. Well, I'm just not good at guessing all the things that could happen, right? But, but the fact is, God's happy because we are pressing forward. We're sticking to it. If God was pleased with their progress, nothing else mattered. Often we become discouraged when we compare our service with uh, the service of others. And it's a direct result of pride. And, and, and I felt the Lord stirring in me over, over this uh, past couple weeks. I've watched um, new works in the area, not Assembly God works, but just churches pop up and watch their advertisements. 
And I've seen great ones. I've seen ones that discourage me away. But God started really showing me the way in which we as churches sometimes project ourselves creates this prideful competition with others. Like, like you know, at our church, you'll never feel like a stranger. Which means what we're saying is the other churches, you know. And our, our, it's good to say good things about your, your, your church, the body, that if you're doing things right. You know, hey, we make sure your kids are safe. That's a good statement. Unlike other churches, we, you know what I'm saying? And we get in this cottonous thing that we, we, we change what God sees as success and we make it more like a commercial project where, where it, it matters how many people we amass, but not the lives are changed. It, it matters how great the building we build, not what happens in that building. You begin to compare your class with the one down the hall and you feel like a failure and discouragement. You learn that the person across the aisle has led more people to the Lord than you and you get discouraged. The person who has more time to volunteer gets a bigger applause than you and you get discouraged. And I've worried and thinking about this and prepared for this message that, you know, I spend more time with a few of the guys in here getting some work done for the church. But there's a lot of people that do work for the church that I haven't recognized openly. And I wonder, have I discouraged them? And if so, I'm sorry. I've said, oh man, Nathan, you got to watch it. He's working himself to death doing stuff for the church. And that's true. But then in first service, Janessa's there, right? And Janessa every week is making sure we've got the, the kids' uh, programs going. And, and so right now we're in a transition trying to build those kids' programs back up. And she's got that stress on her. And, you know, and all of us trying to figure that out. And maybe I didn't recognize them. And in, in myself, I discouraged them. The fact of the matter is that God never called you to be a better um, teacher or preacher than someone else or a better Christian than someone else. He just called you to take a step forward and to do what he's called you to do and to not quit. He never called you to be that better teacher, to be the better singer, to be a better witness. He's just saying, I have called you for a purpose. Fulfill that purpose. And I'm excited when you just grab the tools that I've given you and go to work. God has called you to serve in a specific place for a specific purpose. And all this that we're talking about, spiritual awakening, see, it's not just for fuzzy doodads. It's not for all of a sudden the news media come out and say, what's happening at New Song Church? There's droves of people coming in because the worship services are awesome. That's cool, and that's great. Praise God for that. But what happens in those people's lives when they leave the door is what God really is concerned about. What happens when you leave the service and what happens during your life and what are you doing to grow the kingdom? That's what God is more concerned about. That's his measure of success. Not the church building and how many people we can pack in it, but what's happening into the lives of the people that are there. And I can't in one person, you know, God can use me to do great things. Yes, he can use you to do great things, but together he intends us to help change lives together. And you may want to quit, but God's saying you can't afford to quit. The ramifications of what it will do to your family and to you and to the church and to the community. Because you can't see the future, but he can. And you have no idea the lives that will be damaged by you quitting what God has called you to do. Don't be discouraged. God sees your effort. And I need to close, but I just want to move a little more forward Say and say, God will provide you the strength. It seems that the people were growing weary from their labor for the Lord. So God comes with a simple message. He told everyone involved to be strong. Haggai 2.4 Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, 
the high priest, and be strong, all you people in the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. God wanted them to know that, that even though they were tired, weary, and weak, he was with them, and it wasn't under their own strength that it would get completed. He also encouraged them to keep pressing on for him. Essentially, God was telling them, you can't afford to quit. You know, right when I start to get discouraged, I feel like, how am I going to finish this project? How am I going to do this? Then all of a sudden, we begin preparing for the annual harvest celebration. And, and, and the reason that even sparked to start calling that is because I looked, and we had an increase in giving, even though our numbers went down. You think, less people, less money to build a building. I'm worried, God. God says, you know what? If people do quit, even if I didn't want them to, or they do, or maybe he did move them on, whatever the situation, but God says, I will take care of what I called you to do. You get the plumb line in your hand, you get out there and you work, and I'll provide. We had a significant increase. I'll just tell you, a little spoiler alert for tonight. We had a significant increase in our giving over last year. And you know what? We had a significant increase in our giving last year over the year before. And we had a significant increase in our giving from the year before. Yet, yet, yet we've, we've had some growth in, in, in people. So, you know, it's church statistics, all things that pastors do because we have to somehow feel better, engage what we're doing for the Lord, you know, in the natural. But sometimes it just don't make sense in the natural. I'm like, I feel like I'm failing in some areas. And then God says, but that's not how I measure your success. You're going to be all right. And that's just the financial part. You know, this week I had a situation kind of went negative out there with two contractors. And, and some of the folks that were out there volunteer were gathered somewhere else, didn't even know how bad it got. But, but there's two guys that I thought one of them was going to maybe take a swing at the other. And they got so upset with each other. I mean, it was up in the face. Huh? And, you know, how they know me has been mainly just say, hey, can we get this done and kind of meek and all this. And boy, it went, and I was kind of getting worried, and just something, you know, I'm not something, Holy Spirit, I just know sparked up, and I just, kind of like, you know, your voice all of a sudden booms, and you just, men, we don't need to go there for this to get resolved. And it's like, whew, and just this kind of, you know, cower down, the one that was, in, you know, it, it showed me something. I walked away thinking about that the rest of the day. Every once in a while, I think about that, I thought, that was really weird because they've never responded to me that way. Like the, the one guy that, that tends to kind of mouth off and stuff like that, you know, I'm like, I don't, didn't think I have any authority over him. You know, who, who does he care what this preacher says? You know, but, but it's like the Spirit of the God was already in that place that we're building and saying, I will take authority over what the enemy tries to do. Even something that seems silly to two workers getting ready to go at it. But in God's house, he says, nope, you trust me. And, and you know, God, I put a thing on Facebook recently. God has... Un he has protected the unity of this church. This may will be 10 years. I've been there since before we even started. And there's been times we may have a little thing go on, maybe with some people or whatever. But somehow, some way, God always protects the unity of the church. We haven't had a big church split. We haven't had a, you know, a big falling out with a, numbers of people and you know, stuff all over the community about how we don't get along. I mean, God has been gracious and helped us. And I believe it's because here not compared to anywhere else. I don't know. I just know that here, the three pastors have been here, the multiple worship leaders, all the people who have volunteered and helped, there's just been a sense of, you know what, we don't have time to mess around. There's, there's too much to do. We just got to get at it and work at it. And we may mess up. We may not do it as good or as polished as another church. Doesn't matter. We just need to keep working for the Lord. Whatever you're calling, whatever you do to serve, always trust in God to guide you. 
You have to look to him for the assistance you need to complete the task. You know, there's been times I, I am being grown in my areas of having to build teams, and I'm not really good at it. I'm realizing I'm not, I hate to tell you this, I'm not the best in organizing people and really knowing how to get them going. And so God sometimes will send people who are kind of self-starters and who will just take things and run with it. And so God knows even in your weaknesses, he knows how to get around that. He knows how to send the right people. So before you start thinking of the list of things that will that prevent you from being able to do things for the Lord, especially if he's called you here, begin to realize that if you take a step forward and just say, I am, I am going to do something for the Lord, not as soon as I can figure it out, but just commit to the Lord. I'm going to do something for you here, Lord. He will help you discover that. He will equip you and he will send the right people around you to help you get it done. God promised Israel that he was with them in verse 4, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. And as his children, we can claim that same promise. Remember what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, Brethren, don't be weary in well-doing. Remember also what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So my address to you, like the letter I put on Facebook today, is dear, dear fellow laborer, don't stop now. We can't afford to quit. Don't give up. God promises us strength. And don't be afraid. God's in control. And if you come tonight and come this evening for the, the harvest celebration, you'll understand. It's just the finances are just one way. I mean, I look at that and just that's God saying, don't quit. I will move on my people and, and it will get done. As the people worked on this temple, they began to examine the situation. And even though worry filled their minds, when God brought the encouragement, God said he would shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. And after this, the people of all nations would bring offerings of gold and silver. Because see, they didn't even have all the gold and silver that they had before in the temple. They were worried about the resources God provided. Many times when we attempt to work for the Lord, the enemy will begin to fill our minds and excuses and all those things. But often, we like Israel, we look at our resources and think that success is impossible. But just as he reminded his people back then, he has reminded us now that he owns it all. God owns it all. It's all his resources. So when we come together tonight and we talk about all the great things God's done, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card for us to just say, okay, now we've done it. We've arrived and we just need to sit back and wait for everything to happen. No, that's the time to look and say, God is on our side. He's coming alongside us. He's helping us. He's moving on the hearts of people to make sure the resources are there. He will provide, and then we press forward because there's much to be done for the kingdom's sake. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day and your word to encourage us, Lord, to press forward, to, to never quit. Lord, that we can't afford the luxury of a quitter, that we can't be cold and in that spot, Lord, where we're struggling and have our brother and sister in Christ say, you know what, I just can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm taking off. That God, that you, if we will stick to it, that God, you will provide the resources, you will provide the encouragement, you will speak to our hearts, you won't let us uh, endure more than we can stand with your help. So God, anyone here today that's been discouraged, that's just feeling like they're not sure 
about if they've been if they're at the right place, Lord, or that you place them. God, that you once again speak to them as you did when you drew them here, God, that you, you help them to discover their purpose, to have the boldness to step out and to go to work for your kingdom's sake. That, God, if there's things in our life that are not in line with your word, and that's what holds us back from serving you, because we know that we're, we're in direct contradiction to your word, I pray right now that the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God, would finally set them free by, by repentance of that and to turn from any sin and be ready to serve and, and feel the freedom, the fresh breath to be able to breathe freely knowing I have turned loose of the sin. God has set me free and I will, I will work for his sake and for his kingdom. Jesus, we believe it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. And uh, again, 430, finally we have some sunny weather and I don't have to worry about you going home on icy roads. So we're going to have a good time seeing what God has done. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.